So hello everyone and welcome back to the NP Studio. Today we have with us uh, another special guest, um, someone who's an aficionado in the fintech industry. Um, so we have with us uh, Mr. Pranav Gandhi today. Um, he's the head of backend engineering and co-engineering at Simon Markets LLC, which is a really interesting company um, that you know, it's, it's basically an intelligent and innovative platform that delivers end-to-end -end digital suite of tools um, with the name of empowering advisors, financial advisors, uh, with on-demand education, you know, an intuitive marketplace, real-time analytics, and lifecycle management. So they're really shaping up the space. Um, and, it, you know, this company has spun out of Goldman, um, which is another popular bulge bracket bank. And so Pranav is heading uh, the back-end engineering and the co-engineering departments of this company. Um, he's a senior software engineer. He comes with a wealth of experiences with over seven years um, in, in software development and two years of experience in cloud-based architecture. Um, before Simon, Pranav um, worked as a technology analyst, then an associate, and then a VP at Goldman Sachs. And so he just has, you know, tons to share about uh, about finance, fintech, and where this entire space is moving. So um, it's glad to have you here, Pranav. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Um, well, so just to kickstart the conversation, if you could uh, maybe talk about what Simon does, but in a way that, you know, let's say someone like me who does not know that much about the, you know, the fintech industry yet can understand. Uh, sure. So in a nutshell, Simon gives financial advisors access to even more investment opportunities uh, than, <clears throat> than what they are used to. Uh, and it not only gives them access to these investments, but also provides them tools to optimize their client portfolio with confidence. Uh, so Simon as a platform offers in unprecedented access to risk managed and alternative solutions. Uh, these include structured investments, annuities, and traditional and progressive alternatives. Uh, and as I said, Simon just doesn't provide access. It also simplifies these complex product through a rich suite of educational content, analytics, and centralized workflow for lifecycle management. <clears throat> and it's everything that advisors need to stay ahead in an ever-growing investment landscape. Uh, Interesting. No, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so from what I understand, um, so is Simon, um, it's a B2B company, right? So you would, do you target customers themselves? Because you talk about um, there's like some education platform and an intuitive marketplace as well, or is it only other financial advisor, you know, companies? Uh, so right now, Simon is a B2B platform. Uh, so we make uh, make our tool set available to financial advisors so they can make uh, data-driven decisions for their clients. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, gotcha. And then uh, do you see on the horizon, is there a B2C um, sort of like component to Simon Markets coming into the near future or is it still uh, just going to be B2B given the, the nature of the market itself? As far as I know, it's going to continue to be B2B, uh, but you can never say no to B2C. So I can't, I can't really predict the future, so I can't really say we will never be B2C. Uh -huh. <clears throat> but that, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Um, now, I was super interested in learning about um, the entire process of, you know, companies spinning out of a larger company. So with Simon Markets and then, you know, the way in which it spun out of Goldman, um, could you share that journey or like how that experience was for you and your team when you all, you know, spun out of Goldman to start your own company? <clears throat> uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I can kind of talk about how the experience was for me. Uh, so I joined Simon about 
four or four and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, Simon was a team uh, at Goldman Sachs. So Simon was created at Goldman Sachs to distribute Goldman Sachs' structured investments. And soon it received amazing feedback from the clients. Uh, and clients wanted to see not only Goldman Sachs' structured investments on the platform, but also structured products from other <clears throat> other creators of structured investments. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as a result, a decision was made to spin Simon off. Uh, And I joined around the time when the decision was already taken to spin Simon off. Uh, So prior to that, I I spent nine years at a different department uh, at Goldman Sachs. So so what I had expected going into Simon uh, is I would continue to do what I was doing before. at Goldman, but immediately as soon as I joined Simon, I realized that this is something very different. So I'll give you an example. So when I when you are at Goldman, you are like a you are like a pampered child. So for example, <clears throat> Goldman takes care of its employees like no other company. No. Uh, but a lot of the decisions uh, that you need in your day to day life are actually taken for you. For example, when I was at Goldman. Uh, I never had to think about, okay, this is a particular source code repository there where I need to commit code. Uh, I never had to worry about building an authentication system or building a user management or an identity management system because all those decisions were already taken and there is an army of people who who helps support that. Mm -hmm. But immediately as soon as I joined Simon, some I got to participate in some of those decisions. So the biggest biggest difference for me was I was kind of shaping the future of how other engineers when they join Simon would code. How other engineers like what are, what is the technology that the other engineers will use to share code or collaborate with each other. So that was that was the biggest difference for me whereas when we spun off uh, from Goldman uh, so yeah that's uh, <clears throat> that's that was my biggest takeaway and I kind of remember telling my boss at the time that in the past two or three weeks I have learned more about more than what I had learned in like two years in my previous, previous oh wow job. so yeah Wow. No, that's great. I mean, um, it brings up an interesting point about, you know, how you look at corporate hierarchy um, in well-established institutions, whether that's in banking or, you know, in tech or even any other industry, uh, the larger a company becomes, right, the more structured and hierarchical mm-hmm. become its positions and, you know, its management systems. And so you, <clears throat> while you're, you're part of a company that's creating and controlling this massive impact chain, um, or life cycle of products in the market. At the same time, you feel that, you know, uh, as you said, a lot of things are taking care of you. So going to Simon, um, personally, and then in also in terms of like, maybe just as an advice to people who want to pursue something of their own in the future, uh, which path do you prefer more in terms of like, oh, just encountering new challenges more so than you might have, you know, when you were at Goldman and then also like tackling them and building new products, as you said, without being pampered uh, when you were at Simon. <clears throat> uh, it, it actually depends. Like if you are somebody who thrives in an environment which has structure, mm-hmm. uh, where you only want to focus on one or two skills and 
everything around that or around your growth is taken care of, then I think a larger institute like Goldman Sachs uh, is going to be a good fit for you. But if you are somebody who <clears throat> who thrives in a scenario in a in a company or in a scenario where there is not a lot of structure, mm-hmm. uh, but you want to participate in getting that structure, or you want to actually be somebody who wants to take the responsibility to try find try find different avenues or different different <clears throat> solutions to problems uh, then you should you should consider joining a smaller company or a startup like simon so it, it it basically comes down to personal preference i feel yeah and i think that inner calling is really important because um, i think you also brought up another interesting point about responsibility and accountability in creating the system itself or structure uh, do you feel um, because you know ideally the answer would be the smaller the company the more accountability you have because you're involved at the earlier stages but do you think that there is an accountability imbalance between working in a larger company and a smaller company or is that kind of the same or like how does that work according to you since you have been a part of both now uh, so as i as i kind of said earlier i think there is accountability in a larger organization as well uh, but there is always uh, incremental growth uh, at a larger organization because there is more structure mm-hmm. uh, in a smaller company you may be somebody who's right out of college uh, but you may be working on a piece which is going to be <clears throat> which may have an impact for the entire organization mm-hmm. uh, so in that case the accountability or the responsibility could be much higher uh, mm-hmm. at a smaller company yeah So, so and then that. sometimes what happens is mm-hmm. when you're working on something you don't even realize it is going to have such a big impact which is going oh, to yeah. be company wide uh when you're working at a company uh, like a smaller company or a company that is growing mm-hmm. uh so that is also fun term, fun sometimes oh yeah no definitely i think um yeah there's so many examples of these like just spin off products of even small companies that went on to become their own you know big thing like I was just reading about this recently uh, because you know I was fascinated by how Gmail is still you know free of cost and how does Google mm-hmm. fit it fit it into its stream of products and I saw that they had something called um, I forget the exact name but it was just like a weekend of innovative projects or hackathons that the company would have and a random employee just came up with the idea of Gmail um, and they said you know why not we have the capital we're going to fund an initial just like a prototype of what the product would look like and then in no time it just blasted off into what gmail is now so it's interesting to see how um you know like the dots connect looking backward but like when you're actually working on something you don't know how impactful it will be in the near future or even in the long term right yep yeah that, that makes a lot of sense um so you because you know you're talking a lot about um like structured products when it came to simon and also before when it was a part of goldman uh could you um like maybe for 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 the listeners here like explain what structured products are and like how could we understand them better um, as to how they you know fit into the whole financial market currently uh so structured product uh product are these uh, derivative uh, products uh, again i'm i'm not an expert on these products but i can try to give an overview so so a structured product is a product that can be structured based on an investment objective uh, that an end client may have uh, so let me give you a simple example <clears throat> is if you are saving up money to buy a house uh, in let's say 5 years time uh, 
if you keep the money in your savings account, it is not going to grow. Uh, but you essentially know how much money you will have in five years. Correct. Uh, Correct. The best way, like, not the best, but a way to grow your money is maybe through market participation. So when it comes to market participation, traditionally people think about two types of products. One is either buy stocks or buy some bonds. Uh, first, I'll cover bonds. So risk of you losing money when you invest in bonds is going to be very low. Correct. But at the same time, you are not going to make any significant profit or your your money is not going to grow in a significant manner if you if you are going to buy bonds it's a low uh, risk low gain yeah similarly yep exactly similarly if you were to buy stocks there is a chance that the stock you invested in does really really well so in 5 years time when it's time for you to buy a house uh instead of if you are saving for a two bedroom you can potentially afford a three bedroom now Right. But there is also a chance if the stock does not do well, and when you are actually ready to take the step to buy the house, it goes down. you may not even be able to afford a one-bedroom house at that time. So you have to maybe change, uh, change your timeline for buying a property or buying a buying a place for yourself. Mm -hmm. So what structured products do, or just a higher, just a generalized category of risk-managed products, mm -hmm. they give you market participation, uh, but they also help <clears throat> cover your risk or hedge, hedge against the, the risk. So for example, you can get a structured product where, which, is, which follows an underlier, which is probably a stock that you wanted to buy. Mm -hmm. And the way the product is structured is that if the price of the stock goes to 80% higher than the current value, then you will get all the profit. Mm -hmm. But if in five years time, the, the value of that product is let's say more than it grows more than 80% of its current value, you will still only receive 80%. But on the oh. flip side, if the price of the stock drops by, for example, 30, 35%, mm -hmm. you will still get all your money back. You will not suffer that 35% loss. Oh, <clears throat> so, so that's why I'm saying structured products uh, help you manage your risk. And then these are very flexible products. You can, you can create a structured product to meet any any investment horizon you have. Uh, so so that's what a structured product is at a very high level. Wow. Yeah. No, no, definitely. I mean, especially this is pretty interesting to me because um, yeah, we've all learned about like the high risk, high gain philosophy. You know, like mm -hmm. I started trading myself, and um, you know, I dabble into it a bit. But um, it's great to know that there exist products out there that can help you hedge your risks. And obviously, you know, like, you know, keep improving incrementally or even exponentially uh, to do that for you. Um, now, if, for instance, uh, before we move on to another topic in this conversation, if, if for instance, someone um, who doesn't have large capital or like, you know, let's say college students um, want to get into this, uh, just like, is it possible to invest smaller sums of money in structured products? And if so, where would you recommend or what resources could be used to find such products to invest in? <laughs> I believe so. You can invest smaller amounts, so you don't really need life-changing amounts uh, to buy structured products. Uh, as I said, these products are not very simple, uh, so they are not directly available through your brokerage accounts. So you need to f you need to get them through financial advisors. Uh, so firstly, you 
you get yourself a financial advisor and then then you can ask them uh, to recommend structured investments and then or structured products and then they would uh, and then you could get access to those products through them oh wow that's awesome um no but i'm, I'm glad to you know it's great learning for us as well you know whoever's listening to this because um i mean investing <coughs> in, in products investing in anything in equities bonds derivatives um i think it's become a crucial part of anyone's life you know it's like money used to make money and i feel that principle is really uh, really timeless and wise so um thanks for sharing that um I wanted to pivot to more of the of the technical side of you know your work because you mm-hmm. know you've had a strong SWE background and also now experience in cloud um, architecture. I was really interested in learning what the connection is in like primarily between like let's say fintech markets or like companies like Simon and let's say the cloud architecture that supports them. So are you a cloud native platform or how does cloud factor into the engineering? Uh, yeah, so we are a cloud native. Uh cloud native platform uh, by that i mean all of our services are deployed using a cloud provider so the difference between a company like us is we want to build services and our infrastructure and we use a cloud provider like aws or microsoft azure or google's gcp to deploy deploy our services and deploy our infrastructure Oh, awesome. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And in terms of the, the external um, engineering um, subcomponents of what you do, um, so you ha- head back in engineering at Simon, right? So uh, what primarily goes into it? Like um, maybe if someone were to be interested in back in engineering in, in a fintech company, if that's a particular niche they want to operate in, what are some of the skills you would recommend them to learn or some programming languages? Or is it fine for them to be agnostic? Um, yeah, how, do, how is that for you? So we we don't really enforce any any programming languages uh, here at Simon. Uh, our thoughts are as long as you have experience in programming, you should be able to pick up uh, some of the languages we use. Uh, we use a combination of Scala, Python, uh, <clears throat> and Node.js uh, for a couple of use cases. If you like to solve problems, uh, then an engineering role at Simon is going to be of interest to you, specifically coming back to backend engineering. Uh, so backend engineering at Simon uh, writes services and applications that enable any kind of user workflow uh, at Simon. Uh, so once any once a financial advisor goes, goes to our platform, uh, any action they take, it interacts with a backend service layer, uh, and then all of those backend service layers and applications are some things that our backend engineering team owns. Wow. Okay. Um, no, that's great, and thank you for shedding light on that as well. Um, mm-hmm. And and learning more about the the technical, you know, side of things is great as well. Um, but I also wanted to um, just briefly touch upon the more of the managerial and entrepreneurial side of things. So um, could you remind me at which series of funding is Simon right now? Is it a series B or has it moved on to a C or? Uh, To be honest, I don't know. Um, I believe it's Series B. Um, okay, gotcha. Um, but no, what was super interesting to me was that um, it's a Series B investment. And so um, there's obviously like venture funding that happens um, for a company like Simon, right? Um, mm-hmm. Do you think, because I've been talking to uh, about this with a few of my other friends as well, uh, who are running their own companies or startups. Um, do you think um, 
funding itself or like the 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 rate of growth that a company experiences is confined to geography to a certain extent like for instance um simon markets i mean you're located primarily in new york right mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah so i mean just based on that like let's say if i were to start something here in raleigh durham um and then you know like i just i was wondering like what role does geography and obviously consequently the population of that geography play into companies seeking funding and also like growing at the rate that they do because we all know that new, like companies in new york in the bay area they experience hyper growth uh, but i was wondering if geography has a role to play into that uh, i'm pretty sure there may be some statistics about how geography plays a role uh, this is my my personal thought is if you have a product uh, which can make a difference uh, and which can solve problems uh, either for end clients or like in our case for financial advisors <clears throat> or it has the if you have a product which has the ability to solve problems uh, then geography does not matter uh, but again this is just my thoughts i believe if through technology you're solving a problem which is going to improve somebody's life or which is going to improve life of mass number of people uh, then geography shouldn't matter yeah no that, that's great especially with software now that i think about it like um scalability of the product is um is not confined to a geography right because like when we look at a new company we don't look at where its headquarters are we look at whether we like the product or not so yeah, yeah. i think yeah that makes a lot of sense um also it's interesting so you um so you pursued a masters uh, in computer science from northeast right mm-hmm. Um, yes. How was your experience um, since you did your bachelor's from, from India and then your master's in the US? How was that experience? Like how was comparing those two experiences and whether did doing a master's in CS, like was that instrumental in what you currently do or how, how did that play out? So? Yeah, so I think the education that you get uh, in India and in the United States is very similar, but the way of delivering that education was very different uh, so when i was doing my bachelor's we we had the same coursework uh, but the way the education system is majority of your grade depends on your final exams uh, while here the grade was a combination of class tests which you give throughout the year project work that you do throughout the throughout the semester as well as a final exam uh, so that is something that i found very different here uh, as compared to back home in india no mm-hmm. that, that makes a lot of sense i mean um this this part is interesting to think about how um because i'm, I'm also going through how my courses here at duke are graded mm-hmm. in the sense that it's more compartmentalized and uh, the focus is definitely a lot on the journey because every part of the journey somehow factors into the final grade that you get right um, and so yeah, i think the mode of delivery of that education is really something that sets obviously an american education apart as well um, but it's also one of like the usps that it provides for you like in the future um, that's yeah that's pretty interesting um, just to see pond over um, i think i guess um, other than that i was wondering so you know you're involved in an intense environment when you go to the office because there's a lot of deliver- deliverables you know teams to work with meetings how do you um you know keep yourself 
focused in the zone and like how how does um, work life balance work out for you um, since especially since you're in an up and coming company and not necessarily as pampered as maybe you were in in golden uh i think uh, my work life balance is actually pretty good so so at simon we believe in one thing uh we work hard but we also kind of uh, play hard <laughs> Awesome. If, if 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 that makes sense yeah. so since we are a growing company there are a lot of deliverables uh, but over the course of the 3 years uh, we we have learned how to plan properly uh, <clears throat> so so i think the work is uh, pretty great the the biggest thing that i really like uh, about my work is every day i every day i come across a different challenge and i am very engaged and i am always looking forward to the next day which is the case for a lot of employees here uh, we actually look forward to to the next day uh, as compared to it being a chore that oh yeah i have to log in or i have to go to go to work yeah. uh, and then again we've had our long days as well uh, but now i think we we've kind of figured out a way so as to continue to meet our growth objectives without overburdening our team oh that's that's great maybe if you could share one or two uh, tips or methods for even current startups that could do that because i think that is the ideal goal for everyone to be able to hit the deliverables straight but at the same time not overburden yourself or like you know not burn out too too early uh, i think we we take a we take a three year approach uh, and then what we've done is we've kind of broken down the three years into this is what we want to do year 1 year 2 year 3 and we've been laser focused uh, on achieving achieving our goals and again since we are a growing company you can't really always predict there are always going to be surprises uh, but we we usually have have our goal uh, and in between whenever surprises come <clears throat> uh we are kind of we are ready for those uh, those challenges and we try to bake the surprises in towards our final goal hopefully oh, that makes that, sense yeah. yeah oh wait that's super interesting so you basically use the impetus of potential surprises in the future to get your work done quicker right now exactly mm with that that's that's a great takeaway um and something that companies can definitely you know work on or even incorporate into their work culture um even you know talking about work culture there's this a uh, you know big discussion going on currently that does work culture according to you stem from let's say the ceo of a company and is that how it shaped or it stems incrementally from every new employee that joins in like do you think it's a top down approach hierarchically or do you think everyone has their own contribution to the work culture and it just becomes this product this connective tissue for a company i think everybody has their own <clears throat> at least through our journey that's what i have found that everybody everyone that joins simon adds their own flavor and that's how we've we've built our work culture so there were 26 of us uh, that spun out of goldman so i'm pretty sure when we spun out of goldman it would have been very similar to what we were used to uh, at goldman but but now we have grown from 26 to i think more than 180 uh, oh, wow. and every everybody who has joined uh, the company has brought their own own ideas uh, and what we've done well uh, is to listen to those ideas and learn from everybody's experiences 
no that's that's commendable i mean uh, this is what i'm talking about right hypergrowth is 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 amazing to even look at and like study uh, definitely um so and this is in a span of how many years again uh 3 years so i think we spun out of goldman in december 2018 wow wow <laughs> that's amazing and it's definitely growing more and more every day so um i i guess because you know i'm a curious mind um do you how much importance i mean i'm not asking for an exact percentage breakdown but uh there you know there are companies that experience hypergrowth like simon by virtue of providing a product that perfectly fits into the market and meets the demands to the t right but then there are certain companies with their own products which have to create a space in the market for themselves not necessarily because the product isn't as innovative but because there might be similar products and they have to have a more competitive edge or you know adopt destructive pricing or some some other method as well so what would you recommend like uh, as like certain like um or maybe my question would be if if someone wants to start a company right for themselves mm-hmm. would you recommend taking the route that Simon did or like the other companies do or is there a sweet spot in the middle like is there a right answer to this or is it is it just uh, like yeah to be honest uh, there's no there's no right answer here uh, i think a lot of it is also also take based on timing uh, so for example in an industry there may be like people kind of get used to used to so there are different types of companies uh, again maybe let's see if i found this correctly so there are there are companies or there are products that challenge the normal <clears throat> correct and there are product that enhance the normal i feel wow. Wow. <laughs> and both companies both companies or both sets of uh, products have have their place so typically what happens is the companies that challenge the norm sometimes take a little longer to make people aware that things that have been happening in one way could be done differently okay. uh, and those companies sometimes take a little longer uh, to get there but when they get there it is with a big bang uh, on the other hand there are some companies that just enhance or improve on what the norm is to and remove <clears throat> inefficiencies and those are the companies which find adoption relatively easier uh, because there is a problem there which they have kind of taken head on and they have not really aspired to change the world and i feel both companies have a place uh, in the industry uh, because yeah, no, without the companies that want to challenge the norm you we would never be able to find like we would never be able to improve but at the same time uh, we also need companies that kind of improve the norm no wow wait that that's great it, it perfectly i can you know analogize that uh, this with uh, so i did a big book review um, you know a few years ago for this book that's name is um, the innovator's dilemma uh it's written by professor clayton christensen from the harvard business school and it was exactly what you talked about um so he said that there's something called disruptive innovation which changes the norm as you said which challenges it but then there's also like incumbent innovation 
which is more systemic, more structured, more routed, and less uh, risky, uh, which is how the world works. So disruptive innovation or like companies that challenge the norm are definitely lesser in number than the ones who enhance the norm because there's an added degree of creativity, risk appetite, and a lot of other tools coming into that place. But it's like a symbiotic relationship. You can't have one without the other. But it's up to you, your team, your work culture, and your affinity towards the like the vision with the product is what decides which path you want to take um yeah i'm I'm a big fan of that concept and i think um this would be a perfect tagline for this because enhancing the norm <laughs> versus um you know challenging it that's that's pretty interesting to think about and i guess my final question um you know it's been a great conversation and uh, to end the loop for it my final question would just be and ask this to my other guests as well um what would your maybe just uh not not as um you know broad ended but uh, what would some of your tips or advices which are more practical or more specific be to let's say our generation or or anyone who wants to enter the market uh with their own vision and their own idea um you know leaving it open ended there yeah so what i would what i would say is you should not be afraid to try new things uh, and then don't be don't be afraid of failure uh, there are very few that succeed but you don't succeed unless you try uh, so don't be afraid to try uh, and if you fail learn from your failures and try again awesome awesome no i i really really appreciate that thank you so much for that and uh, it was a pleasure to have you pranav uh, um, and you guys stay tuned uh, for the next episode of the np studio